0: State, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Wilson in the backfield with Cephas Johnson. Now they go empty. Back to throw is Johnson. Has some time. Steps, throws. Pass, intercepted. off by Eric Lee. 15, 10, Lee, 5. Touchdown, Nebraska. It's a pick six by Eric Lee. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Warne. Thank you. Welcome another week of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Beautiful day outside today. Just a gorgeous fall day. And I think we probably all needed that to kind of lift our spirits a little bit after a tough weekend for the Big Red on the gridiron. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. We're going to let all you Monday night quarterback and give us your thoughts about Saturday, which was – it was a disappointing day. Nebraska losing thirty-four to seven in Minnesota to drop to four and three. So plenty of open phone segments for you tonight at eight six six Husker one eight six six four eight seven five three seven one. Our number two, Matt Davison, will be here. tomorrow Mondays with Matt segment. We'll also hear from Husker softball coach Rhonda Revel. They finished off their fall season yesterday playing the Coyotes of South Dakota. So now they shut down until <clears throat> until practice begins. In January, And then their season starts the first weekend of February. That's hard to believe. We'll hear from Coach Revell coming up in hour number two. Weekend Rewind and Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will be here for the third hour of the program. Not that I really want to, but we we have to talk about it, Nate. uh, I did not expect what we saw Saturday night to happen the way it did. I I knew it was going to be a difficult game to win. Nebraska was a touchdown underdog in the game. But I really felt like it was going to be a close football game. But when you give up 322 yards on the ground and you can't really sustain much offense yourself, you turn into 34-7 games.
1: Mitch Sherman of The Athletic was on with us on Sports Nightly Friday night, and he said the key to the game was winning the trenches. And, and we hear that before most every game. But this game, especially with the weather, it was going to be critical. And Minnesota won those two matchups by knockout. They utterly dominated on the offensive and on the defensive line. Uh, There were holes all night for Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks and Muhammad Ibrahim to run through. Minnesota didn't need to pass it. Hardly passed it at all because they didn't need to. And that's disturbing a little bit because you feel like the defensive line for Nebraska was a strength and would be able to hang in there at least for a while. And be able to hold up, and we talk about Nebraska and their injuries, Minnesota was without Daniel Faalele, their giant right tackle. So it wasn't like Minnesota was at full strength either. Now Nebraska had more injuries, both coming in and during the game, but still not so many to where Nebraska should have been run out of the building as they were and and the fact that Nebraska's defense didn't hold up after they've put they had put together a good first half of the year. We were talking about this uh, last week on Sports Nightly as well, that the, the offense has really struggled, but the defense has held in there relatively well. The defense could not stop Minnesota's running game, and, and as basic as it was, and though Minnesota has good running backs, they shouldn't be able to roll up 300 yards on you with, with little effort. The offense remains an issue, uh, and with Scott Frost's pedigree and what he's done in his career, I think we all underplayed some of the questions that existed about this offense. The fact that there was so much youth on the offensive line, and you lose two guys in Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer, who were big anchors. We underplayed the loss of Divina Zigbo. I sure did. I thought Maurice Washington would be able to plug right in, be more explosive. And I thought Diedrich Mills, even if he wasn't going to be as explosive as Devine Ozigbo, he was going to be able to pick up the tough between the tackle yards. That hasn't happened. And again, the wide receivers after Spielman and Robinson have been dormant. Now, Cade Warner, three catches. You feel like he can be a valuable part of this offense moving forward. But after that, the wide receiver core has has not done the job for Nebraska all all year. The only upshot of of any of this is I think it, it clarifies for people where the problems are on the offense. And they're everywhere. It this isn't Adrian Martinez. This isn't one guy being slower or not having Stanley Morgan. There are issues everywhere on offense and you hope this bye week allows them to, to tune some of those up. This won't be a great offense this year. After seven games, it's tough to say that this offense uh, is going to be a, a even above average one in the Big Ten, but it at least can get better. And one other thought is this. As bad as we feel about where Nebraska is and where they are in the rebuild, look at Minnesota. Because they had lost to, they lost to Nebraska week seven of last year, And then they lose to Illinois later in their season. And I know I was sitting there thinking the P.J. Fleck experience isn't going to work out for them. And and they turn a corner and they beat Wisconsin, dominate Wisconsin the last game of the year. And all of a sudden they've won 10 out of their last 12 football games. So a rebuild like this isn't linear. You know, just because you played well one week doesn't mean you're going to be that good plus 5% in the next And just because you played badly doesn't mean you're only going to be a little bit better than that the next time you go out. So uh, there are plenty of things to fix. There are plenty of things to work on. And, And the Minnesota game exposed that. Right now, the only mission that's out there in front of this team is make a bowl game. And the next two games out of this bye are their best chance to get there because you worry about this team going on the road to Maryland, even though they've come back to earth and after Wisconsin and before Iowa, that that's going to be a tough game for reasons beyond what challenges Maryland present. So this is Nebraska's best chance to get themselves bowl eligible, set up that month of practice. And that's the big carrot right now. Indianapolis is gone. It is off the table. So get this team to a bowl game get them back to postseason, get that month of practice, and hopefully this program can grow from there.
0: Since the Illinois game when they racked up nearly 700 yards of offense and we were pretty impressed leaving mm-hmm. Memorial Stadium in Champaign that night that this offense had finally found its rhythm, they score one touchdown against Ohio State, one touchdown against Northwestern, and one touchdown against Minnesota. That isn't going to cut it. You're just not going to beat people 13-10 to 10 week after week. It's not going to happen.
1: Well, you're not going to beat people 13 to 10 playing normally. And then you think of the tempo at which Nebraska runs things. I mean, the whole point of the tempo is to get you high scoring, to get you into track meets, to where that opposing offense feels the pressure every single time they have the ball. They feel like they have to score. As much as this Husker offense is is struggling, the tempo is hurting Nebraska because it's creating more possessions.
0: Yeah. Monday nights, we like to check in with our color analysts. We call it Mondays with Matt. Time now for the weekly breakdown.
2: What a memorable first game at home in the Big Ten Conference.
0: With color analyst and former national champion.
2: All the games played for this historic program. All the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime. And we've seen the best one here today against the top ten team.
0: It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly.
2: Well, that was a rough one
0: Saturday night in Minneapolis, and you said it a couple of different times on the broadcast. Did not really see that kind of an outcome coming, did we?
2: No, I was pretty surprised by it, Greg. I really expected that we were going to come out and play well. I knew that that Minnesota was... A uh, team that was confident, they had won some close games, but hadn't lost a game yet. And you knew that they were going to come in excited to to continue their season that they've had. And and um, so I, I thought we were going to match that intensity. And really, in the first half, it was 14 to nothing. And it's not like we played great, but. At the same time, we did move the ball a little bit on offense, got the ball into their territory the first two or three times we had the ball and, and then had silly mistakes. Took a sack one time, uh, had a block in the back that was a big call that would have had us first in goal inside the 10-yard line with a chance to tie it. So even when we did do some good things, we shot ourselves in the foot as we got down in their territory on offense. And then the third quarter was, was really where everything uh, went really south, I guess. Couldn't stop the run, couldn't really get much going on offense, and they blew the game open. So disappointing night for sure, not something that, that we expected going in. I thought we would play well. Um, but all we can do is look forward to the next five games and use this off week. We'll try to regroup and and really look at everything and see how we can get the guys ready for the last five games.
0: Yeah, when that when that game ended, I mean, the, the MASH list was pretty big, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. When you don't have Adrian, you don't have Wandale at that point in time, Noah gets banged up late in the game. I mean, it, I'm not sure it could come at a better time, right, than where it is right now.
2: Yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, I think there's only one other team in the Big Ten that hasn't had an off week yet. And so us and one other team are the only two that hadn't had one. I think Northwestern's had both of theirs already, so they have quite a stretch of games in a row to end the season. But, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. You you uh, get ready as, as best you can for the next game, and that's what we'll do this week. Still a long way to go. Uh, this is a new team and a different year, but last year the team really improved the last half of the season, and hopefully we can do a similar thing with this team this year.
0: We heard the head coach say after the game that he really got after the team. He even told Ben that with us at halftime. Uh, so, so maybe some tough love is now maybe needed for this group.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, it's just one game. I mean, you don't want to overreact, obviously. And, and I think Coach Frost has a great way of communicating with the players at the time, whatever, whatever it takes uh, at that time to the message that he needs to deliver. And he obviously felt like that was a time to maybe get after him a little bit. And so... Uh, you know, the the you want to get to a point where you don't have to get after your team to get them to play, and and you know that was a night where I guess you felt like you needed to, and and so I, I don't really know what else to say about that. It's uh, you, you know it was cold and all of that stuff. Those are those aren't even excuses. Those are bad excuses. I and mean, whatever you want to say, you you only get to go out there and play twelve times, and and um, you. you practice in the offseason, do everything you can to get ready for just 12 games, and it doesn't matter if it's cold or windy or not or if it's hot or whatever. You go out and play. Uh, I know our guys wanted to play well. I think the want to uh, going into the game was there. Um, like I said, early in the game, I think it was it was um, it should have been a closer game, because if we could have finished any of those drives, it, it would have looked different in the first half. But we didn't. And then in the third quarter is when things fell off. So like I said, just go back to work this week and try to get the boys as ready as we can for Indiana.
0: What is what is the schedule? The guys getting a couple of days off from practice. What's, what's it look like this week for this team?
2: Yeah, they're off today. We'll practice uh, three times this week, I think. At least that's the plan as of now. And uh, then see what we want to do over the weekend and then get back into game with next week. So... Uh, You know, it it comes at a good time, like you said, uh, to try to get some guys healthy and to get their legs back under them. Uh, But we still have to work hard. It's not like this is a week to just take off and not get better. We have to get better. We have to recover, but we also have to get better at at some of the basic things, whether it's a penalty here or there, jumping early, um, a push in the back, uh, you know, missing a block, missing a tackle. You didn't do a good enough job of that on Saturday. Like I said, you don't want to you know, overreact in one night of football. So I think we, you know, we're doing a lot of good things, but we just need to button a few things up on both sides of the ball and try to get ready for the next two games before we have another off week.
0: And back to your point about playing seven straight games, Michigan State was the only other team in the league that's had to do that. And they had a performance a little bit like Nebraska's where they just looked flat for them when they played Wisconsin on Saturday, okay, big big news earlier today—an announcement that Nebraska is taking their show on the road across the pond to Ireland to open the 2021 season. Your thoughts about this uh, this matchup with Illinois in two years and venturing across the seas?
2: Well, I think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, it's been almost a year since we first talked with with the folks. Uh, about this game and, and whether or not it was going to be a possibility and whether or not we wanted to participate in it. And and uh, I'm glad that it happened. Um, I think it's a good opportunity for our players to go overseas and have a great experience in another country. It's going to be great for our fans that have the opportunity to go. I know it's not cheap or easy to go on a trip like this, but for those that do have the ability to go, I think it's going to be a great trip for them. Um, it, it, for us, it's a way to showcase on week zero where there's there's not a lot of games or there's no other games, essentially. So we get to play a game in front of the national audience a week before everybody else, and we're playing a Big Ten team. So it's a really important game in that it's a league game. So I think it was a win all around for our program, and, and I appreciate Illinois taking this game on and giving up a home game to go overseas to play us. I, I, I think uh, for Nebraska, at least, I think this is a big win.
0: Oh, I think the Huskers are going to paint Dublin red. It'll be a lot of fun in a couple, <laughs> couple of years. Well, enjoy some downtime, much-needed downtime this week, and we'll get after the Hoosiers here in about 10 days.
2: Sounds good, Greg. Thanks.
0: We're back. Sports Highly here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp and with you. and talk a little softball. Husker softball wrapped up fall ball yesterday. They played Colorado State and South Dakota over the weekend and you had a chance earlier today to catch up with the head coach.
1: Had an opportunity to sit down with head softball coach Rhonda Ravel, and she's had a full full fall to work with this team and I started the conversation by asking what did she think the team got from fall ball?
3: Well there were a lot of really positive things. Number one um, we have three newcomers that saw significant playing time and we really see how they can have a positive impact on our team number two um you know we ran kind of a straight rotation all fall long so everybody got at bats everybody got playing time and i thought that was great and that we were interchangeable at a lot of different positions um and number three you know uh, we saw some real um steps forward on the mound get a lot more swings and misses out of our pitchers and you didn't necessarily always see it in the scoreboard but uh, I see what they're doing you know with the getting the swings and misses and we're going to build on that in the off season and that's all without Lindsey Walges for being available to us this fall
1: You talk about the strides forward on the mound and, of course, Lindsay Wall-Jasper, I think by most projections would be, if not your ace, then then the second pitcher, but somebody to see significant amounts of time. But the pitchers that were out there, Olivia Farrell uh, out of Elkhorn, what development did you see from her?
3: Well, she's doing just a lot more um, just throwing the ball through the zone. And, you know, if you look at her stats, uh, she's averaging a strikeout an inning this fall. And, you know, I I think a lot of times you would, if you've thought of Liv as a pitcher, you'd think of her as a pitch to contact. And when you're averaging a strikeout a game, you're bordering being a strikeout pitcher at that point in time. But she's doing it by throwing through the zone with better movement. And also her off speed has really improved
1: you talk about pitching to contact and and that's been the tendency of the pitchers the last few years and one of the things that has hurt this nebraska softball team is the fact that the infield defense has not been quite as good you mentioned some newcomers Mm -hmm. seeing some time for you and they've been on the infield how how big a a step forward have you seen from your infield defense this fall
3: you know, we've seen some really good stuff. So, um, you know, like I said, we were rotating people in positions, but then Sam Owen went down with a real tight back. So she hasn't played the last six games. So we put KP Pola uh, there at third base, and she she's made two diving plays, one to her backhand in foul territory from her knees, made a – out, you know, just – Brought the crowd to their feet, honestly, and uh, she's done some really nice things. On top of that, she's hit two home runs for us. You know, see to see two home runs out of a freshman in seven games. Uh, you, that shows pretty good promise. And then our transfer from Oregon State, Cami Barra, she's playing second base and she's done a really nice job there. Been very steady. And then Brooke Andrews, uh, freshman out of Gretna, you know, she's been at shortstop every other game, rotating with Sarah Yoakum, and we've seen some plays from her that. I think, get the crowd kind of going ooh and ah. So, you know, there's been some really nice things. And then at first base, you know, of course, Maddie Unziker graduated, so we've been rotating. Uh, actually, Lexi Nye over there with Peyton Huscroft.
1: You talk about having a shortstop in the Andrews to fill that spot. Tristan Edwards has had to play that spot the last couple of years, and uh, she's a converted outfielder. She moves back to the outfield. Having a lighter defensive load for her, how do you think that'll help her offensively?
3: Well, let me just put it this way, Nate. She, um, we played a complete Division I schedule this fall. A lot of teams played the junior colleges in the fall. And in seven games, she had five home runs. <laughs> so not that she's not that kind of hitter and capable of that, regardless of which position she's playing. But I think it's really just freed her up. Now, she's taking a lot of pride in her in her offense and in her defense and as you know at Bowling Stadium the sun can be quite uh, quite a challenge there in right field and she's been working like a dog to uh, not only handle the sun but get the balls in the gap and whatnot so uh, she's played really admirably defensively but I think it's really freed her up on offense and midway through the fall we put her at leadoff and I really like her there.
1: You see that more these days in baseball and softball, a power threat in that leadoff spot and and just getting your best hitter more offensive opportunities. And, of course, Tristan would be the best in in your lineup. What does she bring to the table in that leadoff spot that maybe she wouldn't even in the three or the four?
3: Yeah, well, just right out of the gate, you can tell pitchers are already starting to be careful from the very first pitch of the game and in the last two games she's actually swung at the first pitch hit it hard not gotten base hits but it's really set the tempo for the rest of the game in fact uh on saturday she hit the ball so hard back at the pitcher it took her glove off the pitcher went and grabbed the ball out of her glove hit on the ground and threw it first and got out but it just really set the tempo for the game and and you know she also runs well and and you know we actually did that with her sister tatum in her in her senior year tatum was our leadoff. so i think it's um i'm excited about it
1: one spot that is open right now is catchery after replace Bree cassidy who was a terrific defensive catcher for uh how does that race look right now
3: you know right now they're both doing some things really well both annie uh rayleigh and ally riley uh and you know it's, they're just rotating and i don't know that that will change uh it's not that it's not it's not that one of them uh is a liability or one of them is out distancing each other i think they both have things that they bring to the table and the thing that they've both been doing well is handling the pitchers and getting strikes and that's been a fun little game we've played this fall is how many strikes are they getting for the pitchers that probably were borderline strikes
1: So you guys have wrapped up the competitive part of your fall as far as playing other schools. But of course, the team isn't going to stop working. What were a couple of the to-dos that you've given these guys as they move out of the competitive fall portion and, and into really the conditioning part to prepare for practice in 2020?
3: Well, let me talk about the conditioning part. We have a new strength coach, Rusty Ruffcorn. And he has done a remarkable job with this team from starting in the summer. Uh, even through we've worked really hard even through fall ball and we'll just continue on and and they're really responding uh with his with his workouts and the other thing that he's doing and you know, he's coming to a lot of practices and talking with Lori and talking with diane and really trying to apply the explosiveness of our sport but also the endurance factor that our games last a long time so so people don't necessarily think about the endurance factor in a sport like softball but it's as much mental endurance but you got to physically be able to sustain the concentration right so he he, he, it's been really fun to watch that with him and then as far as what we're going to do softball related you know we're just getting ready to go into individual meetings to really detail all of that out so we want to get to the nitty-gritty of the individual and what they need to do in their in their skill set to get better and improve through this time
1: during the fall one other piece of good news that the softball program received was Taylor Edwards being selected for the 2020 U.S. Olympic softball team in Tokyo Japan what was your reaction to that and how can that help how can her selection of the olympic team help this program
3: you know what, I'm glad you asked that question, how can it help this program. First of all, I think that uh, none of us were surprised and are surprised that she's in group of 18. Uh, and to just listen, I don't know if you had the opportunity to listen to what the Olympic coach Ken Erickson said about Taylor and what, the, uh, what he said the selection committee said about her leadership and her respect, mutual respect by all, and just her leadership in general um it was pretty incredible and you know we actually watched that as a team on our video board we've watched it several times and you know it's like clean from that if you want to you know you want to be great you study greatness and we've got greatness right here this is a great leader i mean this is we're talking about the best softball team in the world and the selection committee is like we have to have her leadership around us i'm like what can we learn and clean from that and you know like the point i made with the team yesterday with taylor's permission of course is they need to understand she's she's an alternate and they're saying that they have to have her with them as an alternate even if she doesn't get to put on the uniform. Because the only way she's going to get to put on the uniform is if one of those others go down. Mm -hmm. And yet they're saying, we have to have Taylor Edwards with us. And so what a great example of an unbelievable teammate.
1: Just goes to show the players that, that can come through this program and hopefully some more developing this fall. Good luck, Coach. Thanks, Nate. Exciting news about Taylor Edwards, that she'll be a part of the Olympic team for the United States in 2020 again she is on the list as an alternate not a full-fledged member but just the fact that she'll have the opportunity to train with an Olympic team and be a part of the United States softball team uh, as softball returns to the Olympic program great opportunity for her and uh, certainly speaks well for the Husker softball program
0: it does and things seem like they've settled with that program it certainly was a tumultuous summer it feels like there's kind of a
1: settling setting in going on right now over there i think that's the case you know i i think the team i think everybody took a deep breath with all the controversy that was around there this summer everybody reset Um, and and realize that they need to work together to put this program back together and get this program back into NCAA regionals and and make progress together. And so hopefully that leads to a better year this year because the last – Three have been pretty rough.
0: Yeah, starts February seventh, sixth.
1: Sounds right. First weekend in February. Wow. So, Las Cruces, New Mexico is where you. Yeah, we we haven't been there in a couple of years, but there was a six or seven year stretch where every it time. was the spring training home of Nebraska <laughs> softball. I I got to know Las Cruces pretty well. I can still picture the hotel we'd stay at and everything. So
0: another weekend of college football in the books and here to recap it all for us adam rittenberg of espn.com back from his very first trip to dallas for the red river rivalry how did they treat you down there adam
4: they treated me great greg uh, have you been
3: to the game before
0: no i have not it's on the old bucket yeah, list
4: uh, it, it definitely should be uh, that was an awesome experience and i heard about it from colleagues over the years and just really grateful i was able to be a part of it uh it was a, was a fun game, but even more unique, just the atmosphere in the stadium and around the game with the State Fair uh, really did not uh, disappoint in any way. And, um, you know, really, I, I think it's it's one of the last true neutral site atmospheres. You know, we get these games every year at NFL stadiums. We get bowl games, but they're never truly evenly split. And this one was. I mean, just to see the the the, the, the stands with half, half maroon and half uh, – Half uh, burn orange was was really neat, and then obviously just to walk after the game right into the fair and to see everything that was going on there was was a lot of fun too.
0: And the weather looked like it was fantastic for that day. How, d- does Oklahoma
4: pass your eye test? You know they do. Def- it's interesting they do defensively uh, they, because they made you know clear improvement on that side of the ball. You know, we know they you know didn't win the national title the last two years or get past the semifinals largely because of their defense and Alex Grinch who came in from Ohio State former defensive coordinator at Washington State, has done a really nice job, uh, you know, A, creating a scheme that really frees up players uh, to to, kind of do more things. And then, you know, maybe more importantly than that, he's just changed the mentality of that crew. So they're they're better defensively. You know, I wasn't overly impressed with Jalen Hurts. It wasn't his best game. You know, had two red zone turnovers, uh, nearly a third. If he doesn't do that, I think they blow out Texas. Now we know he's capable of playing better, uh, and he's going to have to. I, I just think, it, you know, if, when they get to some of these, you know, marquee games, especially if they get back to the playoff, they're going to need to have him at a better level than what we saw on Saturday. But there's a lot to like about that team from Lincoln Riley's play calling, the C.D. Lamb, and he, obviously Jalen Hurts and and the running game, and then an improved defense with guys like Kenneth Murray. And uh, Neville Gallimore has made significant strides. So exciting to watch the improvement there.
0: I know you've got a piece up about the Heisman race, and we're just halfway through this thing, so there's still a lot of football to go. But did Hertz, because of that performance, stay on your list, or did he come off?
4: Yeah, no, he definitely did. And I think right now, a lot can happen, Greg, as you know, but I think right now it's really a three-man race between you know, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa of Alabama, and Joe Burrow of LSU. Joe Burrow has topped my Heisman list at this point. He's just been so remarkable for, I think, the most surprising offense in college football. But you know, Hurts has great numbers. Tungavailoa has unbelievable numbers. I think 27 touchdowns, only one interception for the Tide, and uh, you know, Hurts is running the ball at a high level. Burrow has been, you know, big plays all over the place. Two has been so consistent. Jonathan Taylor is still in that mix, and Justin Fields from Ohio State. So I basically chart the Heisman paths for all five of them. And, you know, I think for Hertz, I'm sorry, for Burrow and Bailoa and, and in particular, it's largely going to come down to that game November 9th uh, in Tuscaloosa. Who plays better? Who leads his team to victory, which, which may, may propel that team into the SEC title game and ultimately the college football playoffs. So there's so much more on the line than even normal because of the Heisman, because the quarterbacks are so great, the offenses are so great. But you know, Jalen Hurts is certainly in that mix. He, he just has to put up big numbers, Greg. And hope he has a few more signature opportunities. because honestly, of the five players on that list, he probably has the least number of signature opportunities, because the big 12, you know, right now, doesn't look like it's going to have too many ranked teams, other than Texas who he just beat, that my Iowa state might work its way back. Baylor has been really good but there's not much else other than those teams and you know we, we know there's going to be more opportunities for both the, the contenders in the Big Ten and the SEC.
0: You mentioned Burrow. LSU's kind of the opposite of Oklahoma where they haven't had much offense in recent years. That's what's held them back. Besides Burrow what have they done? What, have they, what switch did they flip to become such a good offensive team now in Baton Rouge?
4: well a couple of things you know as you know being around football I, you you have to, you are what you emphasize coaches often say that but I, I think lsu for years talked about becoming more wide open on offense talked about maximizing their obvious talent at wide receiver and, and, and uh, Jarvis Landry, who were in the NFL. And they just didn't. Les Miles never fully committed. And Ed, Ed Orgeron early on was trying some different offenses, but, but, but now has fully committed to this style of play. And then he hired a young assistant from the New Orleans Saints named Joe Brady. He's getting a lot of attention. He was only 29 when he got the job. Low-level assistant for the Saints. And he's come in as a passing game coordinator and really revolutionized that passing game, which has become so dynamic with Burrow and and Justin Jefferson and and, and Jamar Chase. And they're just throwing it all over the place. And I think they already have 31 scoring drives of three minutes or less, which is eight more than they had all of last season. So it's a combination of tempo – big plays, but ultimately a commitment to this style, which they just weren't willing to do for whatever reason, and to let a young coach like Joe Brady, uh, you know, really uh, drive this thing from a play-calling perspective, that's in large part why they're having so much success.
0: Well, a great win for them on on Saturday over over the Florida Gators. Let's come to the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State just doesn't lose to Big Ten West teams. That's pretty impressive what they did at Kinnick on Saturday night. What do you make of Penn State here halfway through this thing?
4: Yeah, a lot to like there. I think they have, if not the best defensive line in the country, the deepest defensive line in the country. And you saw that against Iowa – which you know again struggled at the line of scrimmage, and so uh, I think this is a Penn State team that's really led by their defense. Which is you know I think the first time in a while that we could say that a lot of Joe Paterno's teams were led by defense over the years, but uh, you know under James Franklin or even Bill O'Brien, they've been a team with a little bit more offensive lean than than, than, than defense. And so I think it's changed a little bit this year. Uh, you know I think they're a team that I, I think of any of the, the the remaining opponents for Ohio State, if they match up. Player for player, talent for talent, uh, I think better than anybody else. But do they have the co- uh, complete enough team to win? Uh, I think it's going to depend on their offense. It's going to depend on Sean Clifford. Um, uh, you know, they, they they found their running back now. I think that you know he's emerged a little bit in, in recent games as they were trying to figure some things out. KJ Hamler, obviously a, a terrific player. Noah Kane is the running back. I was just forgetting his name for a second, but he's definitely their number one guy. I I, I do like their team. I just don't know if Sean Clifford is going to be up for the challenge ultimately when they go to Columbus. But interestingly enough, Greg, their road schedule doesn't get much easier. They have Michigan at home this week, obviously college game day, but then on the road to Michigan State and then soon after that on the road to Minnesota. So Penn State is going to have to play well away from State College. They've passed their two uh, Big Ten road tests, but there's a lot more to come for them.
0: Yeah. All right, Uh, I saved Georgia for last. How surprised were you that they get tripped up at home by South Carolina?
4: yeah I mean, obviously it's a surprise. you don't expect them to lose that game, but if if you've watched Georgia this year, even even last year at times, they've had this pattern of coming out slowly and as you know, eventually those habits are going to catch up to you and they weren't able to overcome you know kind of the sluggish start and some of the turnovers. they obviously have opportunities to win the game. You know, Rodrigo Blankenship one of the best kickers in the country. He misses a couple of key ones, and Kirby and, 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 and Smart doesn't even go for that field goal at the end of regulation. Uh, with with one of the better kickers. So, you know, again, I, not to say that Georgia deserved it, but they were kind of dancing on the edge for a while. And, you know, now they have no no margin for error. They have to run the table the rest of the way. I even think if they win the SEC with two losses, they would need some help uh, because of the strength of some of these other teams, including the two teams on the opposite side in Alabama and LSU. So, you know, margin for error at Georgia right now is zero.
0: Job saver for Will Muschamp, maybe? <laughs>
4: Yeah, I don't think Will was going to lose his job. I think if there's a change in the SEC this year, much more likely, unfortunately, at Vanderbilt. Derek Mason's a great guy, done some good things there. But, you know, they lost to UNLV at home by 24 points, and I think the heat is rising uh, for, for Derek with a new athletic director. But, yeah, I think Will Muschamp was always safe, but this certainly solidifies it as he beats his old college teammate, Kirby Smart, on the road in Athens.
0: Yeah, great win for them. All right, where are you off to this week?
4: You know, I'm you know, going to be home for Ohio State Northwestern on Friday night uh, here in Evanston, and then I'm driving down to Champaign to see Wisconsin and Illinois. You're know, probably going to be two blowouts, but at least get a chance to visit with both of those teams before their uh, you know, sh- showdown in Columbus, which you know could be a preview of the Big Ten championship game. Sure could be. Adam, we appreciate it. We'll talk again next Monday. Thanks, Greg.
0: Good show. Thanks to Nate, to Brett, to Austin, and to all of you for being a part of this one. Enjoy your night tonight. There's Port Sidley headed your way tomorrow. Good night.